that's you and me, that's not this building. The church has many enemies. As Christians, we have many enemies that come against us. But you know what, I really believe that probably the biggest enemy that we encounter is spiritual blindness. You know, the, the enemy really doesn't care if we go to church or not. You know, because the mere fact that we, we go to church means absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know, I always, use, I always use this example up at, at the prison when I'm talking about this because, uh, you know, I, I say, you know, you can, you can go down to Prairie Meadows, you know, because I saw on TV last night that the, the races, the horse races are starting up again. And, and uh, you can go down to Prairie Meadows, and they've got these nice barns down there for the thoroughbreds and everything. But you know, you can, you can go and you can buy yourself a Missouri mule. And you can take that Missouri mule and you can feed it the, the finest feeds. You can polish its teeth and polish its hooves and clip them and, and everything else. And, get that old Missouri mule looking as nice as a Missouri mule can look. But when you take it out onto that racetrack, you can keep it in the barns and feed it and everything. But when you take it out onto that racetrack, you still have a Missouri mule. And the reason is for that Missouri mule to be a thoroughbred, it must be born again. You can take a sinner and you can stick him in church. And you can feed him the best word, sit through praise and worship, everything else. You can give that, that sinner everything that they need. But you know what? He's still a sinner. Because in order for him to be a saint, he must be born again. Amen? Well, so we can, we can come to church. And even as believers, we can come to church. But do you realize that we can be spiritually blind? That we don't see what's truly been provided for us through Christ Jesus. And so I believe the number one enemy that comes against us as Christians, as believers, is spiritual blindness. And oftentimes it comes in the form of religiosity. Because the scripture says, the traditions of man, which in my book is religiosity, the traditions of man will cause the word to be ineffective. And what does that mean? That means even though Jesus has accomplished it all, Spiritual blindness, my inability to be able to spiritually see it and discern it will cause me to continue in the same state. Well, I don't know about you. I don't want to be spiritually blind. I want to see the truth because the Bible says that the truth will set us free. 
And so as born again believers, the, the, the number one thing, the enemy wants to keep us from seeing, from being revealed to us, is what Christ Jesus has fulfilled, what he's accomplished for us through his grace. And so as a result of that, many times we're, in an, we're, we're not able to walk in it. So we need an antidote. We need something that is going to set us free from this spiritual blindness. In Isaiah, the 61st chapter, you know, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he talked about how uh, he's come to set the captive free, how he came to heal the brokenhearted, how he, how he um, came to open prison doors. He came so that we might be able to see. And, and, and so in Isaiah 61, it speaks prophetically concerning Jesus. It says in the first verse, it says, the Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and, a, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And so prophetically, this is speaking concerning uh, Jesus. But then if we look in, in Luke, the fourth chapter, we see basically the very same thing being said, but Jesus is the one who's speaking it here. And so in Luke 4, verse 18, and he's quoting from Isaiah, but Jesus said, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Remember uh, when the disciples of John came to Jesus and they said, John sent us to see if you're the one or if we should search for another. And he says, go, go tell John the signs that you're seeing and, and the fact that the gospel is being preached to the poor. You know, one of, one of the, the great signs of the true gospel of Jesus Christ is the fact that it's being preached to the poor. Now, it's, 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 it's speaking poor spiritually. Those that need a, a savior, they're, they're lost spiritually, but I believe it also makes reference to the fact that the, the physically poor are also having the gospel preached to them. You know, sometimes it's a lot easier to preach to the poor than it is to the rich, because the rich think that they can handle it. They think they've got everything in control. But the poor realize they need help. That's why, you know, spiritually speaking, you know, if we realize, you know, religious people sometimes are the hardest people to get through to. Why? Because they think they're okay. They think that because they've done all the spiritual requirements that have been laid down by the law, that's what the rich young ruler, when he went to Jesus, thought. Jesus says, keep the commandments. He says, which ones? He told them, he says, that I've done since my youth. He thought he had done it all. You know what, we have a lot of religious folk in the day that we live in that think they fulfilled all the requirements. Well, there's only one requirement. 
And that requirement is that you realize that you can't make it on your own because when you realize you can't make it on your own, you realize you have to depend completely and totally upon Jesus. And so Jesus here is saying that <clears throat> preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then, of course, he sat down and he, he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, in your sight. And so Jesus came to fulfill those requirements of the law. Not that we be obligated to those requirements of the law, but Jesus fulfilled them for us so that by grace we might be saved and not of ourselves as a gift of God, not of works. Let's say man should boast because we can't work hard enough to get it. But in both of those passages, it makes this statement. The opening of the prisons. In Hebrew, this means the opening of our eyes that we might be able to see. Jesus came, he suffered, he died, he paid that ultimate sacrifice, that ultimate price, so that you and I, so that our blind eyes might be opened, so that we might see clearly the completed works of Jesus. And once again, that's what so much, so many people are blind to. They're blind to the completed works of Jesus. They hear about it, but they can't accept it because they feel like they've, they're not good enough. But see, it's never based upon you and I being good enough. If it was about you and I being good enough, we would never qualify because we would never be able to be good enough to deserve the goodness of God. Got your Bibles, turn to Acts the 20th chapter. In Acts the 20th chapter, the 24th verse, it's talking about this gospel. And it says, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. This is Paul speaking so that I may finish the race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus and testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You look at the ministry of Paul and what did he testify to? He testified to the grace of God. What does that mean? He talked about what Jesus accomplished for you and I. That's what the grace of God is. The grace of God are the completed works of Jesus that have been imparted into our lives as born again believers. We're oftentimes looking out here for the answer for things, when all the time the answer is on the inside of us because we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the grace of God. He's provided us with everything that we will ever need to live the abundant, successful life. Well, pastor, why are we not living the abundant, successful life then? It's because we're looking for the answer someplace else. We've been blinded to the spiritual truth that Jesus has already done it for each and every one of us. 
And so we walk around trying to get something rather than walking around thanking God that we already have it. You know, I realize something. I believe that we can have what we say. You know, I think we've, we've strayed from that because we're, we're concerned about what people are going to think, what people are going to say. And, and so as a result of that, I listen to people think, to, to, I don't listen to people think you're safe. <laughs> I know what you're thinking right now. And I don't have to read it, you know. You know <clears throat> but I listen to what people say. And you know what? It's negative. Not just, I'm not just talking about the lost. I'm not just talking about the world. I'm talking about all of us. Our conversation, the words that come out of our mouth are negative. And what we don't realize is that we're going to receive what we say. In one form or another, we're going to experience it. And so I think we need, it's time for us once again to put a guard on our mouth. And we begin to declare what the Word of God says about us. That person that drives you nuts, you need to stop declaring that they drive you nuts. You need to start saying, why'd you put your arm around him right then? <laughs> I'm in the office from eight to... But we need to start guarding the words that come out of our mouth because I believe in our society we're experiencing the result of the magnitude of the words that we speak. We need to start speaking in line with what the Word of God says. Our words need to be filled with grace. What does that mean? We need to say what God says, not whatever man says. We need to begin speaking about one another what the Word of God says, not what the neighbor said about them. We need to begin to declare what the Word says and expect an increase in that. We need to stop confessing that we believe that our business is going to fall apart and start declaring that my God supplies every one of my needs and I listen to His voice and because I hear His voice, He's demonstrating, He's showing me the way to succeed in every area of life. Listen to me. We got to get a hold of this fact. God, everybody say God. God. God wants you to prosper in every single area of your life. Spiritually, emotionally, socially, financially, in every single area of your life, God wants you to prosper. And so there needs to be an expectation that we're going to see the fullness of that in our lives. Well, you know, Pastor, I know in the sweet by and by, everything is going to be wonderful. I know that, but I need some of that sweetness right now. Amen. That's why Jesus came. That we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Turn with me to Galatians. The book of Galatians, the first chapter. 
the sixth verse, Paul once again is speaking. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of, God, to the grace of Christ. What did he call you to? The grace of Christ. What did he call you to? The fact that these graces have been made available to you. Healing, prosperity, deliverance, wholeness. Once again, for every area of our life. And Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. He says, I'm, I marvel, I'm amazed that so quickly, after hearing the gospel of grace, that you're turning so quickly to another gospel. He's saying that which is not founded upon the grace of God is another gospel. If somebody tells you, for you to receive what God has made available to you, you have to do thus, thus, and thus, that's a different gospel, which is not a gospel at all. For somebody to say to you, you've gotta be, you gotta come to our church. Let me tell you something. For me to tell you, for you to be saved, You have to come to my church. Don't come to my church. Because that means I'm preaching a different gospel. I'm preaching a gospel other than the gospel of grace. And if I'm preaching a gospel other than the gospel of grace, I'm not preaching the gospel at all. And so why in the world would you waste your time listening to somebody preach something other than the gospel. Well, that went over really big. But you know, and I mean it. Why would we waste our time doing that? We need to hear the good news, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's, let's just read it on for the sake that it's there. Verse eight, but even if we, it's Paul speaking. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Why? Because somebody that preaches a gospel other than the gospel of grace is leading the way for others to be damned. Pastor, you're very narrow-minded. Yes, I am, because the way is narrow. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. But the Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life. And there's only one way down that path. There's only one way down that road, and that's Jesus. And Jesus alone, that we put our trust, we put our confidence, completely in him for every area of our lives. He is the only way, he is the only hope. 
and we're to turn to him. The captive referred to in Isaiah and, and, and Luke, they're bound by thinking that they're going to accomplish it by their own righteous acts. We are accepted in the beloved. Just as we sang here this morning, there's only one thing that we can trust in, and that's our righteousness in Christ Jesus. Because our righteousness in Christ Jesus isn't based upon my actions, upon my righteous deeds. It's completely, it's totally based upon what Jesus has done for me and what he's done for each and every one of us. And so here we are, we're in this world, and all this is coming against us and it's trying to convince us, it's trying to blind us to what Jesus has completely done for us, what he's totally done for us. You know, the Bible has made it very clear. You can't, there's two elements that you cannot mix. You cannot mix grace and law because Jesus fulfilled the law. And so when you begin to, to mix grace and law, what happens is you try to earn grace. You can't. It's an absolute impossibility for you to earn grace. Well, I guess you could if you could start all over again. And that's what we got to do in Christ Jesus when we were born again. It was all about what Jesus has done for each and every one of us that made a way from us, for us. You see, obedience to the law is totally different from obedience to grace. You know, I think oftentimes when we, when we begin to talk about grace, people begin to have the idea that obedience has nothing to do with it then. Well, no, you're, you're obedient by faith. You see, we're, we're, we're still here to please God. Amen? And so we, we don't do it by our actions because what our actions, if we're doing it by actions, we feel like our actions are going to justify us before God. And we never arrive. But what happened is through the blood, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, through Jesus' actions, he made us right. And so all those graces are available to us. We begin to walk in them. Sickness tries to attach itself to our body. We declare, no, 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 no. By the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. Some old thought from the past tries to rise up. And we say, no, 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 because I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's no longer me. That's talking about somebody else. I, do, I, I cannot identify with that any longer. And by cannot, I don't mean that you can't. I mean that it's, it's like it's a different person because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But you know what? When you live in your past, you see, that's the number one enemy to your future. It's your past. 
And so, in order to keep you from, from being successful in your future, what the enemy wants to do, he wants you to focus and dwell on and live in your past. And guess what? He'll never bring to your remembrance your past successes. It'll always be your failures. Oh well, let me rephrase that. He will bring your past successes up periodically. Just to demonstrate and show you how badly you failed because you didn't continue. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus came that you and I, that we might have the abundant life. He gave us a, a fresh new start. If you dwell upon what you were, what you used to think about you with yourself, even what the world may say about you, you'll stay there. You'll never move beyond it. Your success in life is determined upon what you trust, what you focus on. And what we trust and what we focus on is what Jesus has done for us. And so, as born again believers, as grace folk, we still walk in obedience. But we don't do it in our own effort, we do it by faith. The Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me tell you something, in myself I can't do that. But by faith I can do what he's called me to do. You've all heard my story about when, when God called me into the ministry, Little Assemblies of God's Church down in in Ankeny, Iowa, and I got home that night. I'm laying in bed and I had this discussion with God. I informed him, not a good thing to do. I informed him that he had made a mistake, that I was too stupid, I couldn't read, I was afraid to get in front of people, is an absolute impossibility. There is absolutely no way that I can ever be a preacher. And he sat me down and he gave me a message and he spoke to my heart. And this is before I knew positive confession stuff. He spoke to my heart and he says, you don't have to do it. You just have to allow me to do it through you. I don't know what God's called you to do. If you're able to do it, it's probably not him or you're not thinking big enough. Because he wants you in a place where you're dependent upon him. And when he shows you that vision of what he wants you to do, you don't have to do it. Because he wants to do it through you. And what does that mean? That means we're obedient to him. We're obedient to his word. And as we follow his word, as we declare, yes, I can do that because your word says, I'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And so in obedience to that, I lay my hands on the sick and I expect them to recover. Some, some demon manifests itself, I take authority over it in the name of Jesus because Father, you said that I would cast out demons. I don't have the authority to do it, but you've placed the authority in me. Therefore, I cast out devils. Yeah? I'm a demon caster outer. And so are you. 
You may not know it, but you are. And let me tell you something, in the day that we live in, you better know it. Because there's stuff that's coming against us from every side. And we attribute it to the wickedness of the world. And the world is wicked. But let me tell you where their source is. It's the evil one that wants to bring death and destruction into each of our lives. And it's time for us to rise up and say no in Jesus' name. But you know what? It has to be more than just the word coming out of our mouth. There has to be a boldness. There has to be a confidence behind that, knowing who backs up that word. And that word is backed up by the Almighty God. You know, in 2 Kings, we have a interesting story. In 2 Kings, the sixth chapter, And we have the account of Elisha, and the enemy is coming against him. And uh, I'm going to begin reading in the 14th verse. And it says, therefore, well, this is talking about the king that wanted to destroy him. And it says, therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And the servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Let me tell you something. He was not calm. He said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He's scared to death because he thought, we're done for. We've hid in the past, but this time, we're done for. There is absolutely no way of escape. We are totally surrounded. The enemy is going to come down, and they're going to clean our clocks. There is absolutely no hope. And so he goes into the prophet, and he says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Anybody ever been there? We won't ask for a show of hands. So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant goes, yeah. One, two, three, four, five thousand, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand, one, two. Uh-huh. There's more with us than there are with them. And so Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. You see, the, the servant was spiritually blind from the standpoint he didn't see into the spirit realm. And you know, <clears throat> we oftentimes don't necessarily see into the spiritual realm from the standpoint with our physical eyes to see what's going on around us. But you know what? Through the Word of God, we see into the spiritual realm. 
Through the, word of, through the Word of God, you see what God's will is for your life. And so even if in the natural, it doesn't appear to be that way, we're not moved by what we see. We're moved by what the Word of God says, what the Word of God declares to us. The Word of God is greater than anything that we can see with our physical eyes. And he answered and said, do not fear, for, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And when the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elijah prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elijah. Now Elijah said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city, follow me. <laughs> I guess you don't see the humor in that. <clears throat> you know, so they were struck with physical blindness. And so Elijah says to them, this is not the way, follow me. And so he led them and he led them into the midst of the army. And in the midst of the army, the blindness lifted and they saw and they saw that they were captured. And the army says, the captain says, what shall we do? Shall we destroy them? Shall we annihilate them? And Elijah says, no. You treat them as you would treat any other captive. Give them food give them water, and then send them home to their masters. You know what it says? That they never attacked them again until another king rose up. You see, God has a way of fighting our battles. And when God's in the battle, when we're fighting the battle in obedience to him, not only are we gonna be blessed, but it's interesting how those around us are blessed as well. In Proverbs 4, 7 it says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. How do we overcome spiritual blindness? The number one way that we overcome spiritual blindness is by getting God's wisdom in, his life, in our lives. And when we get his wisdom, we'll get understanding. What, what does understanding do? Understanding shows us what to do, how to perform. It's just like the prophet. The Lord showed him what to do, how he, he led the people. And they're all set free, but it was the wisdom of God because the wisdom of man would have said, this is my enemy, let's conquer them, let's destroy them, let's use them as an example. But that wasn't God's way. If we are not, <clears throat> if we do not reach understanding of grace, we'll remain spiritually blind. We need an understanding of what God has done in our life. In Matthew, the 15th chapter, the 14th verse, it says, let them alone. 
they're blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the pit. And you know what this is talking about? It's, it's, not, it's just not talking about a blind man walking around with dark glasses leading another blind man. It's talking about spiritually blind people leading spiritually blind people. And you know what? <clears throat> if I'm blind, you may not be as blind as me, but we're both still blind. And you know what's gonna happen? We're both gonna end up in the ditch. But you know what, if I, if I follow somebody whose eyes have been opened, who, who spiritually see clear, as a blind individual, I can be led out of my blindness. But you know what, if you're listening to, if you're following somebody that is not preaching the gospel of grace, they're spiritually blind, it doesn't matter how many letters they have behind their name. Doesn't matter what title they go by. Doesn't matter how big their words are. They're spiritually blind. Doesn't matter how charismatic they may be. The spiritually blind will lead the spiritually blind into the pit. And the pit represents destruction. Well, I'm not saying that an individual is gonna be, be lost eternity, eternally. But you know what? I don't, wanna, I don't wanna fall into a pit on this side. I wanna experience the fullness of what God has made available to me, not only in the life to come, but I want it in this life as well. I want my home, I want my family, I want those that I associate with to be blessed above and beyond. And so as one who spiritually sees. Each one of us, we carry responsibility that we lead people in a way that's gonna to lead to life and it's gonna to lead to the abundant. You know, I, I said earlier, you can't, you can't mix the law and grace. We're in a different dispensation now. We're in the dispensation of grace. We're in a time where Jesus has accomplished it for you and I. And our approach needs to be different. If it's not different, it's the same. If our approach is the same as those that are under the law, it's the same. Our approach, because we're under grace, is different. What does that mean? It means we put our confidence completely in what Jesus has done for us. And what it's speaking of, it's speaking of Matthew 9, 17. It says, do not put new wine in old wineskins or else the wineskins burst or break. The wine is spilled and the wine skin is ru are ruined. But if you, <clears throat> but they put new wine in new wine skins, and both are preserved. What's that talking about? It's saying you can't take and put the new wine in old wine skins and think that it's not gonna be destroyed. You can't expect to live according to the old and think that the new 
is going to operate in your life. You know, the wineskins actually, the new wineskins, what it's really talking about is renewed wineskins. You know, the, remember the, uh, the guy that was walking along the road on the way to Jericho and, and he was robbed and, and, and beaten and left uh, for dead and, and the, the two religious people came along and they crossed by on the other side and then finally uh, the Samaritan came along, the good Samaritan. Now, now you know what I'm talking about. And uh, anyway, he, he looks at him and he, 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 he takes care of him and it says that he poured on uh, the oil and the wine. And in the Bible, <clears throat> oil and wine both are representative of the workings of the Holy Spirit. Now the oil rep represents the new birth. And so <clears throat> the old wines, skins, what they do is they rub in the oil which softens those skins up once again because once they're empty and they sit and they, they dry and if you put something in it, they're going to they're gonna crumble and they're going to break. Well, they're renewed wineskins. And he says after you have the renewed, the new wineskin, then you can take and you can pour in the new wine and the new wine is what's going to happen is going to ferment, it's going to expand and if those skins don't expand, it's going to break and everything's going to be lost and everything's going to be ruined. You and I, we are new wineskins and for us to operate properly, we need that wine of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to empower us to walk in the fullness of what Jesus has made available to you and me. 1 Corinthians 4, 4 says, it's speaking of the world and says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The world is blind. We're not supposed to be blind. We're supposed to see clearly the glory of Christ. And as we see clearly the glory of Christ, others will see as well. Philippians, the third chapter, the 13th verse. Brethren, I do not count myself as apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things, which are behind, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. Forget those things that are behind you. Forget it. Forget it. Well, pastor, it's just really hard to do. Forget it. Well, I don't know if I can. Yes, you can. How do you know? Because he says here, forget it. Forget those things that are behind. Press forward to that which is for before you. What's before you? Success. What's before you? The abundant life. What's before you? Everything that Christ Jesus has provided for you. Press forward. Look ahead. Stop looking behind. Look ahead. You know, they just had the NCAA track tournaments. Um, Nationals on TV. Never saw one runner 
that won its race as it's going along, going like this, seeing where it came from. They looked to where they were going. Why? Because they wanted to win, win, the, win the race. They weren't going to win the race by looking to what they left behind. They were going to win the race by looking forward to what was ahead of them, to the goal that they desired to achieve. And you know what? That's true in each and every one of our lives. What's your goal? What do you want to achieve? Where are you headed? Well, pastor, I don't know. Well, it's time for you to know. Well, how do I find out? Right here. Because just like Paul, the life that we live is no longer our life. We live out the life that has been set before us through Christ Jesus. And you know what? That means you're probably going to continue to do what you've always done. It's just that we do it with a new intensity. We do it with a different desire rather than achieving for self, achieving for God's purposes, for his plan. In Ephesians, the first chapter, the 16th verse, it says, do not cease to give thanks. I, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. God wants you to have a revelation of him, not just a, a working knowledge of him, awareness of him. He wants you to have a revelation. And a revelation of Jesus is everything that he's accomplished for you. And the knowledge of him, the eyes, your spiritual eyes, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you might know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the riches of the glory that belongs to you and me as his saints. But you know what? We'll never walk in it if we don't know that it belongs to us. You know, it's, it's very interesting. When you know that something belongs to you, you become much more possessive of it. You ought to be possessive of what Jesus has done for you. And so he says, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things, and he put all things. You know what all things means? All things. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Again, that's not this building. That's you and me. Gave us authority over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All things. It's been given to you and me to walk in. But you know, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture is Hosea 4.6. It says, my people, not somebody else. Of course, he's talking here about Israel. But the same principle applies to you and I. He says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. What you do not know will hurt you. We have this idea that ignorance is bliss. If I don't know about it, I don't have to be responsible for it. Well, you know, there's a law of gravity. And whether you know about the law of gravity or not, let me assure you of something. It will work. And if you don't believe me, say, well, I don't believe in gravity. Well, I challenge you to walk off the edge of this building. And you will connect with the ground. The fall isn't so bad. It's that sudden stop. Gravity will work. The principles of God. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. I went to church 24 years of my life. Sat in that pew practically every Sunday. Went through confirmation got baptized in an infant, did all the stuff that you're supposed to stuff, stuff, <laughs> do. Should have stuffed it. <laughs> Went through it all, every Sunday. There were people that thought Pastor Becky and I were really religious because we took communion every month but the age of 24, I realized that I was spiritually blind. They forgot to tell me something that was extremely important. That was, you must be born again. So for 24 years of my life, well, probably more like 18 because I believe in the age of accountability. But in the majority of my life up until that point, sitting in church, spiritually blind, leaving the spiritually blind, if I had died, I would not have spent eternity in heaven. Why? 
because somebody didn't tell me the truth. You may get ticked off at me from time to time. You may not even like me from time to time. But I'll tell you one thing, to the best of my ability, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, I will always tell you the truth. I don't want anybody leaving this building and saying, because of a lack of knowledge, because of a lack of understanding, because nobody ever told me I don't want to get to heaven and somebody come up to me and say, why didn't you tell me? I had to hear it someplace else. I want you to hear it here. I want you to hear it now. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father but through Christ Jesus. There is no other gospel. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. All you can do is receive it in Jesus' name. That's what Jesus did for you. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The grace of the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus did it all for you and me. Whoo, glory to God. Better be careful, I'll start preaching here in a minute. John 1, 7. John 1, 17. We'll close with this. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth are synonymous with one another, and each of them are synonymous with Jesus. Jesus is grace. Jesus is truth. You will not find grace apart from truth, and you will not find truth apart from grace, because they both reside in and through Jesus, because Jesus is grace and truth. Truth, thy word is truth. Truth is the word of God. And so the word of God is above anything that man has to say. If what I have to say doesn't line up with what the word of God has to say, I'm wrong. The same thing is true with each and every one of us. One of the greatest revelations I ever received, you might want to write this down. You're right, I'm wrong. About what, Pastor Dave? Everything. He's right. Your body doesn't agree with it, He's right. Your circumstances don't agree with it? He's right. He's right. Do you know why he's right? Because he's God. And God's always right. And that means 
in every circumstance, no matter how impossible it may appear to be, it's possible because of Jesus. Hallelujah, I should have looked at that clock sooner. Praise the Lord. Oh, Pastor Becky, forgive me. So bid them up quick when we get out there. We're gonna continue our worship by receiving communion. Like I said, I should have looked at the clock sooner. <clears throat> Hallelujah. But you're all staying to bid anyway, right? Don't say no, please don't say no. If I could have the ushers and the elders come forward and begin to prepare the elements for service. You can begin to hand out the bread if you're visiting with us today. And uh, we extend an invitation to you to receive Holy Communion with us. If you've been born again, you're part of the family of God, therefore you're part of our extended family. And the uh, elders and ushers will pass out the elements and you can either receive it immediately or if you wish you can hold on to it until everybody's received and then we'll receive it all together. But you know, <clears throat> last week we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is a celebration of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And one of the dynamic things of the working of the Holy Spirit in our life is He brings things to remembrance. But not only does He bring it to remembrance, he brings us to a level of understanding. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit would bring each of us to a place of understanding where we, we're not just simply taking a piece of bread and, and a little bit of juice and going through the motions, but we realize what it truly represents. How this little piece of bread represents the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus that was broken for you and I so that your body and my body might be whole. The word declares that by the stripes of Jesus we have been healed. In other words, those stripes that Jesus took upon him, himself, his body, to the point to where he is beyond recognition as being a, even a human being. He took that upon himself for you and I so that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. That rather than being broken, that you and I, that we might be whole. So the body of Christ, which has been broken for you, as you receive it, receive it in remembrance of him, the body of Christ. Then we receive a second element, 
which is represents the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Jesus' blood was shed for you and I, that our blood wouldn't have to be. Blood represents life. In a lot of circles, they want to remove the reference of blood. And oftentimes, Christianity is referred to as a, a blood religion. We are a blood religion because the victory that we, we live, that we encounter, is a result of the blood of Jesus Christ. The, the removal of the blood of Christ is the removal of life. It's the removal of hope that there's no way, there's no avenue of victory apart from Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, it said that without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. And of course, under the Old Covenant, it was just the blood merely covered over their sins. But under the New Covenant, our blood is not, the, through the blood of Christ, our sins are not merely covered over. Our sins are obliterated. They're washed away. It's as if we've never sinned. That's how far our sin has been removed from us. And Jesus paid that ultimate price so that we could live a life free from guilt, from shame, from the pain of our past. That's why we need to put our past behind us and look forward to the future, to the completed works of Jesus. Because it's not by might nor by power, but it's by the Spirit, it's by the grace of God that we're able to walk in this. The blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus was shed for you and I. As you receive it, receive it in remembrance of Him, the blood of Christ. So Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Father, that they're new every day. And today we choose to walk in your mercy, in your grace. And Father, we ask you to lead and direct our every step by your precious Holy Spirit. And so Father, right now, I just go ahead and pray for the food that you will bless it and sanctify it to our bodies according to your word. I pray that you will bless the time of fellowship as we, as we have the auction. Father, we thank you that our needs are met to supply for every one of the counselors and, and in addition to what we might need. We thank you, Father, that you give us above and beyond what we could ever ask or think. And so we give you all the praise and the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, and his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. And give somebody a hug and let them know you love them.